All kidding aside, it's not always that easy, is it? That's why I, I love you and I make it easy for you. You don't even have to talk to somebody. You can take that little card, stick it in the windshield, stick it in the door. Don't put it in their mailbox. You don't want to tamper with people's mail or any of that weird stuff, right? But statistics still show that the best way for somebody to come to church is a personal invitation, right? But if, hey, maybe you're, I don't even talk to my family. Great. Hand them a thing. Take a picture of it and email it to them or whatever you need. There's all kinds of opportunities so that people get an opportunity to come and be part of this great family because we want more people like you, uh, more people that need Jesus Christ, and it's just a great time that we can have a national day to celebrate and say, hey, let's get as many people as we can connected with Jesus Christ. All right, so they're out there on the table. Uh, grab a couple, uh, pray about it, uh, don't pray about it, get them out there, whatever you need to do. All right, are you ready to go this morning? I, I'm not so sure, but that's all right. We're going to go anyway. We're going to be in the book of Psalms this morning, so the middle of the Bible, if you want to dial that up, Psalms 92. Now, what's interesting is this is actually called a psalm for the Sabbath day, which would be our day today. I'm going to cover the, the last verses, uh, verses 12 through 15. And the reason is because we're, we're at a, an interesting crossroads in uh, our society and our culture in, in the world around us. And um, almost anybody you talk to, they feel like they're very busy, very pressured. They don't have a lot of extra time. And, and I think back to, um, I think back just to when Melissa and I got started in ministry. And, and I think, I don't know how we did it. Um, and because, uh, I'm just going to shoot straight with you this morning. I look around this morning and I see people that are normally here aren't here and I, it's the end of summer and we've got all this stuff of, of reasons and excuses, but uh, there was a, a, a long period of our lives, even though we're working, three children, that looked a lot like this most weeks. Saturday night prayer meeting, Sunday morning Sunday school, Sunday morning service, Sunday evening service, Wednesday night service. And then probably another during the day where, uh, during the week, usually Tuesday for us, where we did a, a teen Bible study at our house. Now today, it's hard for people, the statistics say 1.6 times a month, that's just to get here on a Sunday. Okay? Now, is God up there taking attendance? No. But I was talking to Melissa about this, and the reality of it is that it's not that we're busier or not busier. It's a heart issue. Nobody made me. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be engaged. I wanted to have those services. I wanted to see what God was going to do. And just like I started this morning, but when our heart is filled up with other things... And even now we've got people like, I don't know even if I'm going to go to church anymore because it's not really helping me. It's not about you. Jesus Christ will save you. 
But then it's about you following him. And he becomes the centerpiece, not you. And that's where things are flipped because we're like, well, if it's not about me, then why should I go? Do you want to flourish, which means to prosper, to have excess, to have more, to be something that is blooming, something that is fruitful, something that is wonderful? Or do you want to flounder? Now, you can either think of the fish, that little flat, ugly-looking fish. But floundering really means the opposite of flourishing. It means that you're flopping around, you don't know what to do. And I find that there's many people floundering in their relationships personally, floundering in their finances, floundering with their children, floundering with their God, floundering with their work. They don't know what to do. I don't know how to put it all together. I'm just trying to get through the day. But God didn't create us to just get through the day. Jesus Christ himself said, I came to give them life and life in abundance or life to the fullest. Not the fullest amount of stress. Not the fullest amount of debt. Not the fullest amount of exhaustion, but the fullest amount of the best that life can offer. But we have to do it his way. And he gives us some pretty practical information here found in Psalms 92. And it's going to sound radical this morning. So I'm just going to tell you up front, I'm not going to apologize because I love God's Word. It's what changed my life. And, and I believe, this may sound like an, a big generalization, but I believe if you will actually listen and actually put this into practice, that you will look back on this moment, you look back on this day, when something started that you can now look into the future and say, it changed the course of my life. Or, it's going to be another day where you're like, I hope he gets us out of here quick. It's a nice day, and there's got of plenty of days. But how long do you want to continue to flounder? How long do you want to continue to struggle? How long do you want to continue in the mess and the hopelessness and all that stuff. And yet, you, the only reason you feel that way is because you see that there's other people that seem happy and put together and joyful. And it's people that have learned some disciplines, people that have learned some spiritual principles and have put them in. It doesn't just happen overnight. And we're going to see that. And hopefully I can explain that to you this morning. So join me in uh, Psalm 92, 3 four verses, and it's so simple. He's, he's talking about the love and faithfulness of God, but he's also focusing it on, on us as, as how do we take care of this. All the parts before this is, is he's talking about God, of, of how powerful God is and, and what he's done, and then he saves these last ending verses about, well, if you want to be a person that learns how to be like this and to be God's person and to be uh, stable, here's what you need to do. Here's what he says. The righteous, those that are saved, those that are in right standing with God, so it starts about with a relationship, they will flourish. And I told you what that word means. That's, that's a big word. And maybe you don't use that word, right? Um, I don't usually use that word. You probably don't use that word. You're probably not at the gym hanging out with your guy friends or your girlfriends and going, dude, I'm flourishing. (laughs) Or girl, you are flourishing. Look at you. 
We just don't say that. But it's a really great word. And, and take some time later to Google it or whatever you want to do and find out the, the potential benefits of what it means to flourish. It doesn't mean to just eke it out. It doesn't mean to just barely have enough. Okay? So if we want to flourish, look what it says, like a, a palm tree. Think about that. I don't know about you, but when I think of palm trees, I get happy thoughts. I rarely think of palm trees like cold, dark, rainy. And I'm sure that there are palm trees in places where it's cold, dark, and rainy. But when I think of palm trees, I think of pristine white sand, a gentle breeze coming off of a crystalline blue ocean, a hammock strung up someplace, sitting back, because I've got time to kill, and all is good. That's what I think of when I think of a palm tree. I think of, even in hurricanes, how those things bend and sway. He says, you're going to flourish like a palm tree. You're going to grow like a cedar in Lebanon. He gives two examples of trees, and we'll get back to that in just a minute. Then he gets on to the tough stuff. You want that? You want to... You want to have that type of great life? You want to be like these two incredible trees? Here's how you do it. Those who read lots of spiritual books, those that post a lot of pictures on Instagram, those that run themselves ragged, doesn't say that. I'm going to go right at it this morning, so get ready. Those who are planted where? Not in your house. We've got a lot of people doing that. Okay? Those who are planted in the house of the Lord. Now, that's an unusual phrase, but let's be honest. I believe we're all smart people here this morning. What does it mean, the house of the Lord? It means my podcast, right? It means my online church that I do. Is that what he's saying? It means the worship music that I crank up. Is that what he's saying? So he's being very specific. You want to know how to flourish? You need to, did he say visit? Nope. What did he say? Planted. Planted in the house of the Lord. Those that are planted there shall do what? Flourish in the courts of our God, look at this. When we're in his presence, when we're in his house, we begin to flourish. When you're not in his house and you're not planted, the opposite happens. Jesus teaches on this as well. He says, if you cut the vine off or the branch off of the vine, it will wither. You can do nothing without me. And not me, pastor, me, Jesus Christ, me, God. But we keep thinking we can keep getting disconnected all week. We can disconnect all the times that we need to and that we're going to be fine. And he said, no, you can't. You've got to get planted. And this is a day and an age where it's very tough to get planted, but it requires some planting. Notice what he says as he goes on here. You're going to flourish in the courts of our God. Verse 14. Those 
flourishing people, those planted people, they will bear fruit in old age. I look out this morning, I see some old people. Guess what his promise is for you? You can bear fruit, right? Person's age never stopped God from Abraham to Moses, on and on and on. It's not about our age, it's about our connectedness to Jesus Christ and the power of God. How planted are you? They will be fresh. Think about that. What do you want? Stale? Fresh. Putrid? Pure. My grandma used to use a a term. I fully don't know what it means, but I think I know what it means just from looking at her face. When she would say it, rancid. And she'd kind of wrinkle up her nose. Now, I don't know if you probably don't use that word much anymore, but it's a good destructive word. It means it just ain't right. How's your faith this morning? Is it turning rancid? It once was good, but something's happened. And it ain't so good anymore. It's not fresh anymore. It's rancid. It's stale. It's, he said, if you want to have freshness, if you want to be flourishing, you've got to get planted. If you want to bear fruit, you've got to be planted. Look what he says, verse 15. Part of this is to declare that the Lord is upright. Now, not uptight. That's us. But to declare that the Lord is upright, he is my rock, and there is no unrighteousness in him. You see, planted people know who their God is. Planted people know where their supply comes from. Planted people know who the rock is that holds their roots. I grew up in central Washington, and I grew up in a place where I watched juniper trees grow out of rock. You know how hard it is to get those trees out of that rock? Those trees know how to be drought-proof. You know why? They have strong, intertwining roots. They sink into every little crack, and they get a hold and put out fingers, and you'll pull the mountain down before you pull that tree down. Look at that list. So let's, let's take a look real quick this morning about the benefits of being planted, and we'll come back to this in just a minute. <coughs> he contrasts these two trees, and, and very different trees, but so wonderful in, in, in how he's using this. So you look at the palm tree. They, they tend to bend and not break in storms. They're one of the few trees that's still around when hurricanes flow through tropical places. They, because of their, their makeup of their bark and the bend and flexibility, they bend. The wind cranks up 100, 105, 170, they bend. Other stuff, I mean, steel-reinforced buildings fall and palm trees bend. In the Bible, they represent victory. In fact, when Jesus himself was going into what they call his triumphant entry... They picked palm branches and laid them down and waved them, saying, Blessed be our King, the the Son of David. And it was called triumphant and victorious. 
They're green all year long. And most of them produce fruits from palm dates to coconuts to all kinds of things. And look at what he's saying. That can be us. Then he transitions to a cedar tree, which is kind of the opposite. We see cedar trees around here quite a bit. But they're they're durable. They're pleasant to see and smell. I mean, think about that. They've got a wonderful grain structure. I mean, there was a time when people wanted cedar chests. And they smelled wonderful. And they've got that rich grain color. And they're just beautiful. They resist rot and bugs. And they're used in long-term application. In fact, Solomon said this wood is so good that he lined his temple with cedars of Lebanon. Can you imagine what was to If you've never been in a wood shop, you need to go, especially somebody that's cutting cedar. It's so aromatic. Can you imagine what it must have been like inside of the temple of Solomon when they lit the torches and they began to have the altar burning and that heat made the cedar smell that was paneled all the walls and it must have been this rich, ah, deep, not a, It's not really pungent, but it's just this aromatic, clean. Now, some of you have had pets. uh, You think uh, hamsters. That's a poor excuse for cedar shavings, but uh, I'm telling you, the smell and how it resists the bugs, this is what God is saying. He's like, you want to be able to have these attributes? You want to be green and fresh and produce fruit. You want to be long-lasting and durable. You want to be somebody that's pleasant in their sight and pleasant to smell. And I'm not just talking about the outside. I mean, we all have little pores underneath spots in our body that produce odor, right? What do you smell like to God? Because God has a very different nose than we do. See, he smells the burning sacrifice, and he says it's a pleasant aroma in my nose. And then he says, how about a sacrifice of praise, that my people will be a living sacrifice. Without straying too far here, I think it's all too common today that we smell a lot more like the world than we do the sacrifice that God has asked for of us. You think about how dogs respond to that when they smell another dog on you or they smell something way before they ever hear it or see it. What do you smell like to God? Do you smell like a planted one, an aromatic one? a good question. How are we going to flourish? It's pretty simple. And I think of a joke I heard a long time ago, but a man was in an office building and he noticed one day that a crew of three guys showed up. First guy would dig a hole. Second guy brought a tree in a wheelbarrow, put it in the hole. And then the last guy put the fertilizer around, patted it down, and then they moved off and they paced off another spot and dug a hole, put in the tree, 
watered it, tamped it down, pasted it off, and they were putting trees all around the office building. And one day while he was at lunch, he looked out and he noticed there was only two guys. And it was weird. The first guy was digging the hole, and then they waited. And the second guy filled in the hole, and then they paced off, and they dug another hole, and they dug, and they waited, and the last guy filled in the hole, and finally, curiosity got the best of him, and he rushes out there, what are you doing? I've been watching you all week plant these trees, and he said, now it just looks like you're digging holes and filling them in. He said, oh, the guy that plants the trees is sick. why dig the holes? And I think some of us, we get in the habit of doing things just because we've been doing it, and we're not even thinking if it makes sense anymore. And the world's telling us, we've got to move, we've got to go around, we've got we to do this, and we've got to do this, and we've got to do that. And, and I'm telling you, it's keeping us from being planted. Think about any tree that you've ever planted. If you went a week later and dug it up and moved it to a different spot in your yard, and another week you pulled it up and you put it in another spot in your yard, and then you pull it up again and put it in another spot in your yard, what do you think is going to happen to that tree? Especially if you want it to bear any fruit. I know what's wrong with this apple tree. Well, tell me about it. Well, I've moved it 15 times. Well, maybe, maybe that's the problem. Watching Discovery the other night, it's funny how all this plays out. I think God can use TV. And they were doing a series on the Redwoods down in California, and I'm thinking, my Lord, a 30-story tree. Massive. I mean, if you've ever been down, they've got one you can drive through. I mean, it's incredible. And not just the grandeur of them, but... Think about this. They were saying that its root system is the largest living thing on the planet. And the only reason they can get as tall as they can get in that forest is because they send out their roots and they intertwine with the other trees. So that when the winds blow, it doesn't blow them down. And when problems come, they can get nourishment. And they all interconnect and all intertwine. And they feed each other and support each other. And I thought, Jesus wanted that for the church. But what would happen to those redwoods? They've got the incredible potential for growth, but I'll tell you, you take a redwood and plant it and dig it up and plant it and dig it up and plant it and dig it up and plant it, or even worse, plant it by itself, you won't see a redwood that grows like you'll see it when it's intertwined and rooted and planted where it's supposed to be. Church, we have got to get to the place where we put all that mess aside. And I know it's getting tougher. I'm not saying that any of this is easy this morning, but it is very simple. Melissa and I were on a a short road trip yesterday, and man, reading a book as she was reading. I wasn't reading as I was driving, I promise. She was reading a book to me, and some of the phrases were just catching me and reminded me of, of one of my, my mentors, Barney Bernard. And, and one thing that he said over and over again to me was this. 
great advice for a, a young man that didn't grow up in church but is trying to find his way in the ministry and what God wanted. And he was a pretty blunt guy, but a very loving man. He said this, your love of God is in direct proportion to your hatred of sin. And that has borne true through the ages. Because it's not just what we say. But if we say we love God and more and more of our life is given over to less and less of God and more and more of sin, then it rings kind of hollow, doesn't it? And it's not guilt and shame this morning, I promise you, but I am telling you that's part of this rooting process. That if we say we love God, then some of this mess has to go by the wayside. Another part of that that made me think of what God wants for the church like a family, like a holy house being built up. Not just a bunch of numbers. You're not numbers, you're people. God didn't come to save numbers. God didn't come to fill seats. God didn't even come to fill churches. He came that we would be the church. And sometimes we get off track and we make the mission of God about filling a church. It was never His mission to fill a church. His mission was to make every person the church. Not existing on your own, but intertwined, codependent, lifting each other up, supporting each other, taking care of each other. And he says, you're like a body. Think about that for just a minute. You're a body of many different parts, but still all together as one. That's how important each one of us are. Not all of them flashy, not all of them seen, not all of them maybe as out there in the open, but all of them necessary and vital. Whether we like it or not, there's a purpose for snot. But I've never told God, I am so thankful for snot. In fact, many times I've said the opposite, when you get an infection and you're like, good Lord, how much of this stuff is there? But nobody says, Lord, if you just make me snot in this body, it'd be so wonderful. How do we flourish? We need to stop jumping around. You need to get planted. You need to stop jumping around in your lifestyle. You need to stop jumping around from church to church. Find the church that believes what the Bible preaches, even if it's not our church. Find the church that believes what the Bible preaches and practices it and get planted there. But they do some stuff. I I, I don't know. If it's in the Bible, it's for you, it's about you, and you've got to understand that probably you have to change, not them. You've got to change some of your lifestyle. That's being planted. We're jumping around. We're becoming the masters of none. Jack of all trades. Oh, we know how to multitask. The problem is it's ruining our spiritual lives. We've got to stop jumping around. Stop jumping around in your prayers. Stop jumping around in your Bible reading. Get yourself rooted. Find a plan. Find a path. Because if you are keep jumping around, how do you know if you're making progress or not? 
How do you know if you're growing or not? Great question. We've got to stop jumping around. You need to get planted. And let's just take it to the full extent of us root system. Some of you got to quit jumping around in your identities. Be who God has made you to be. Some of you got to quit jumping around from relationship to relationship, from job to job, and just be planted and you'll see fruit. You keep jumping, you'll get the opposite of fruit. We need to start putting down some roots. And there's a difference between stopping jumping and putting down roots. You can stop jumping, but it doesn't mean you're putting down roots. It means you're getting intertwined. It means you're becoming part of the body. It means you're becoming part of this family. It means that you're actually starting to think about sending out and interconnecting with other people. And this is a major issue in today's modern church. People come, sit, watch a thing. They're not even sure what we're worshiping about, and they don't even know the people around them. You've stopped jumping, but you're not planted. You're not invested in anybody, and you really don't care if anybody's invested in you. I'm not sure I want anybody up in my business and knowing my stuff. And, but it's the life breath of what Jesus Christ died for. Read Acts chapter 2. Get past the, the, the moment of Pentecost and see that the church was established and they met together and they prayed together and they were in the community together. And there's a lot of togethers. He never expected us to be a tree all on our own. We also have to stop being a consumer. We need to be contributors. Right? And that's hard in today's world because the world has taught us to be consumers, but in God's kingdom, he says that you're supposed to be a contributor. We had a, a, a wonderful, loving, but crotchety old guy in, in one of our churches named Ralph. Oh, my gosh. Love that guy. But he was cantankerous. But you know what was weird? He was a little kooky because he, like, actually read the Bible and then tried to raise his kids like that. And then read the Bible and tried to have his marriage like that. And read the Bible and expected church people to act like that. And I met some of his sons, and they're like, oh, yeah, God. he was a guy that said, hey, oh, you guys are bored? Why don't you go out there and dig some holes? And then fill them in, because it builds character. Guy that said, hey, all these guys that are being lazy sitting around, I'm not doing anything for them, because the Bible says if you don't work, you don't eat. And yet would give you the shirt off of his back, a generous loving, kind guy, but he had a biblical perspective which really, even at that time, was showing that it was kind of the polar opposite of the world. Like, you owe me because I'm me. You know, I'm 30 and I'm me. I deserve a good job and I deserve this and and I'm 50 and I'm me and I deserve... If you don't work... The Bible says, you don't eat. And we wonder. Start, stop being a consumer. Next, how about being good soil? 
Jesus talks in Matthew, I believe it's chapter 13, about the parable of the soils. And he said that his seed, he was sowing seed, and some landed on good soil. Now, maybe there's some hard parts of your life, but guess what? You can get a a religious or a a relational rototiller and till up the hard ground. That's what he uses people like me for, and that's what he uses people like you for, is that if there's spots of your life where the seed isn't getting planted, till it up. It's not easy, but you've got to till it up. See, what happens is we see those hard parts of our life, and, well, that's just the way I am. Well, maybe for this season, but guess what? There can be change going on. There can be newness going on. There can be freshness going on. And we've got to be people that allow the good seed of God's Word to get into our hearts. If not, it's just bouncing off this morning. And that really is a shame for for church where we've got this time to be together and read one of the most powerful passages any given Sunday. And it doesn't bring about any change in our life. We just heard it and shook our head. Okay, did that. And then we go our way. That's not being planted. That's not being fruitful. Because he also tells another parable, and he says something like this. Those that heard these words of mine and then put them into practice is a wise man who built his house on the rock. And the man who heard these words of mine and didn't put them into practice is a man that built his house on the sand. Now, before we go any farther, why even talk about this? I want your life to be blessed. I want to see you flourish in every area of your life. And it's, it's not going to affect me per se. This is not some self-serving message. I'm not saying, hey, now we're going to take up an offering and I want you to... None of that stuff. But I see the American church at large, not just here, I see people's spirituality declining. I see people's hunger for God declining. 85% of churches in America are in decline. Not because that the gospel has gone away, but people have stopped being planted and rooted, and they've stopped being fruitful. One of the other phrases that, as Melissa was reading, that grabbed my ear, and I thought, oh, man. The author said that the purpose of salvation in church is not to just be a recipient of ministry. It's not for you to just sit and receive. You are supposed to be a part. And even the Bible says that. Look it up in 1 Corinthians 12. You don't believe me. When everybody's attached and doing their part, Ephesians says it again, verses or chapter 4, when everybody does their part, the church gets strong and healthy. And when nobody does their part, let's take a a real quick history trip, and then I promise we'll get on with this. We don't understand the blessing that we have. There was a time in church that people didn't own Bibles and couldn't read the language it was written in. It was all in Latin. The priests and the, quote, pastors only spoke Latin because they thought that the common person was not smart enough or holy enough to receive God's Word. 
and they kept it to themselves and they just had to sit and learn a language that they didn't know and pray in prayers that they didn't know. And now today it's so common. It's in our language and now it's right here. Easy to understand. You don't even have to read the King James with the whatsoevereths and the whosoforeths. <laughs> Great translations like the New Living Translation that it's very easy to read and yet are we getting closer to God and more spiritual and more planted and more rooted? Because we've forgotten the blessing. We've forgotten the power of His Word. We've forgotten what it means to be rooted and planted in the house of the Lord. Next, we have to stop relying on disconnected digital relationships. It's good that we can access all kinds of great communicators, but they're not praying for you. They don't know you. You're not connected to them. I'm not saying don't listen to them, but that's not your root system. You've got to be here. You've got to be someplace where the people know you. You've got to be someplace where people notice that you're missing. They've got to be someplace where they notice the tears running down your face and wonder, can I pray for you? That doesn't happen when you're listening on your phone. They don't know you. And that's not a source of real connection. That's just information. Lastly, you've got to start intertwining your roots with other people's. I've got to stop you right there, Pastor. I'm just not that kind of person. Then you're an unbiblical person. The Bible never says that anybody's saved just for themselves. You were meant to be with, around, serving, and loving other people. And it doesn't mean you have to love crowds. He doesn't say that. Thank God, right? But he also doesn't say, hey, just show up and do your own thing and then go your way. And stay completely disconnected and uninvolved in the affairs of the people around you. In fact, that's the opposite of what he says. We care for each other and love one another and bear one another's burdens and forgive one another and stir up the faith in each other. That's what he's saying. And again, we've got all kinds of great excuses. Hey, it's summertime. I'm retired. I've got this going on. It's a busy season with the kids. This is starting. That's stopping. We've got... But it never precludes the fact that we have the choice and the mandate to get ourselves planted. I've been there. I used to work night shift. And I would come home quick, shower, change. Let's get the kids ready to go and go to church service and have to put a Bible behind my back so that I don't fall asleep and stay uncomfortable. Not because anybody was watching. But I was supposed to be at church. I wanted to be there. I wanted to be there at the nighttime service when I went again. But it's not filling it up with an amount of services. It's the heart and the desire to move and be with God. So it's not about finding more busyness. Busyness is already killing us. It's about the heart and desire to find God and get rooted in Him and His Word and in a local church where you can use your gifts and people can bend on you and you can bend on them. That's how we get rooted and planted. And guess what? Yes, it's messy. Anybody's ever tried to pull up a tree, you know how difficult it is to get those roots out? But therein is the strength where Jesus himself says to Peter, 
Satan has asked to sift you. But I'm praying for you. You think about that. It's easy to pull a a brand new tree out of the ground. It's been sitting in there a couple, three days. You pull it right out. Give it two years. And see what happens. So that when things come to try to dislodge you and pull you and ruin your fruit and your faithfulness, thank God for the people around us that hold us tight. Thank God for the people that hold us accountable so we don't go too far. Thank God for the people who sometimes their shade keeps us from getting scorched. And the leaves drip onto us and we get watered by what God is pouring out on us and others. But I'm telling you, you've got to get your roots intertwined in your relationships at home, in your church, and with your God if you want to see fruit, if you want to be fresh, if you want to flourish. And this isn't the only passage. I'm going to close it up with this. Jeremiah chapter 17 says this. Notice what he says. Blessed are those who trust in the Lord. Okay, so let's just stop right there. Are we going to trust that this is really what God says? I hope you're opening your Bible and actually reading, not thinking this is some weird trick by a pastor. This is actually what God expects from us. You put your trust in the Lord and have made the Lord your hope and your confidence. Verse 8. They are like what? Trees. Planted. Again, notice he knows along a river bank. And he's using a metaphor here, but get it. That is the river of God. That's the river of the Holy Spirit. It's the river of life. And look what he says. They're planted along that river, and they have roots that do what? They reach deep into that water of life, deep into that nourishing flow, deep into what God is providing. Such trees are not bothered by the heat or worried by long months of drought. Their leaves stay green and they never stop producing fruit. That's available to every last one of us. Anybody who would claim Jesus Christ, you can start that process right now if you haven't already. But understand that trees don't go quickly. And it takes more than one tree to have an incredible forest. There has to be some intertwining for this beautiful, long-lasting tree that becomes part of a forest. I mean, I think we take that for granted. Look out on our hills. See what God has done. See how they all interact. See how they work together, how they bend together. How how beautiful. That's the image that God wants for the church. Not a bunch of separated, scrub, patchy, starving trees. Eaten up by bugs, their leaves gone, no fruit. Tilted over by the wind. I want you to be something healthy, strong, and fruitful, and intertwined. You're helping others and they're helping you and it's become something bigger than you. Think about what I said earlier. 
the root system of the redwoods is the largest living organism on earth, but you probably didn't even think they were a living organism because we don't see it. It's the largest global network. What if we took that into our heart this morning? We said, I want to be part of that. It's scary, but I got to put out some roots. I got to stop jumping around. I got to I got to make an investment in this local body. I got to find a couple people, a small group that I can be part of. I need to find some people like me, same type of tree, and get our roots going. Let's get some fruit going. The benefits far outweigh any fear. Because the reality is all we have to do is be willing to be planted. He'll do the planting. He'll grow the roots. He brings the fruit. He allows the shade. He brings the sun. He does everything that's responsible for us to do it. All we have to do is stop jumping around. So a quick recap. Is it about being in this building every moment of your life? Nope. It's not the good old days. Well, we should be there every time the church door is open. I'm not even saying that. But if you're rarely here, we didn't talk about this yet, but this is where we're ending. It sounds a lot more like you're planted out there than you are in here. And you'll only produce that kind of fruit. You want world fruit? Or do you want God fruit? You want consumer driven? Or do you want contributors? You want people that are going to come around you when the storms hit to protect you and to nurture you? Or you want them to stand off and watch you fall? It's not what I want. It's not easy getting along with people all the time, but it's what God calls us to do. And the great part is that's where grace comes in. You don't have to be perfect. You don't have to have it all together. You can have done all kinds of mess, but the reality is because of the love and grace of Jesus Christ, there's no reason for me not to accept anybody. doesn't mean we're going to be best friends, but it does mean we can be a force together. So how about we stop looking for all the excuses that make us different and stop, start looking at that one big thing that brings us all together. Jesus Christ. His grace. His love. I'm going to ask you if you stay seated this morning. We're going to close with prayer. I know this wasn't an easy one this morning. But I never promised to make it easy. I want you to ask a real honest question, not of me and not even of yourself, because we lie to ourselves. Ask an honest question of the Holy Spirit this morning, which is this, how planted am I? And when he comes back and gives you the answer, don't make excuses, just accept it. 
and start thinking through the process that we talked about this morning. So here we go. Lord, none of this spoke to bad people or good people. Your whole point this morning was that we're all connected. That you planned for us to be intertwined. That you want us to work together as a body. And even more so, your heart desires for us to be fruitful and flourishing. You don't want your children to flounder any more than parents want their children to fail. We don't want that. So Lord, we ask right here, Lord, how connected am I? How willing am I to put down roots? Or do I like the ease of being able to jump when I want to and have my thing and my schedule? Or or am I going to nail it down and make my life about you, my schedule about you, my priorities about you? And when I do that, fruit begins to happen. When I do that, flourishing begins to happen. When I do that, I find that I've got friends, not just people that sit in my row. When that, when that happens, I find I've got people to lean on and people that provide shade when the, the sun tries to scorch. And I've got people that are holding me up when the winds blow in my life. I've got a support group. I've got a network. I've got some, some roots. For those of you that that sounds scary and you you don't have any part of your life that's rooted, at the end of your time, you'll see that there's been a lot of energy expended. You've jumped from relationship to relationship, job to job, church to church, Bible version to whatever. You've tried this and that, and you keep saying, it just doesn't work for me. It works. You're just not rooted. So God, would you help us to hear the message about being planted this morning? Not an attendance message. Not a, I have to like everybody message. But it's a message of being dependent on you and connected to other people. It's a message of actually caring. I should care about the people that I'm here with. It's a message about discipline and spiritual growth. God, as pastor over this church, I pray that every person this morning, whether, whether it's happening right now or not, I believe and I hope for the incredible productiveness of your word in their life this morning, that they will be like that Jeremiah tree, that they are planted with roots that go deep, into the waters of blessing, deep into the waters of life, deep into the water of the Holy Spirit, and they produce fruit, and they aren't scorched, and they produce in old age. Father, it's not impossible. It's not even improbable. It's just a shift from unrooted, unplanted, to planted and rooted, And it will take some time. So Lord, would you help us to start sending down some roots 
just making the decision right here and now, Lord, I received the word this morning on good soil of my heart. I'm not going to harden my heart so that this won't take root. I'm not going to let it go by the wayside and forget it. I'm not going to let the the enemy come and steal this word from me. So I'm going to ask for your seed to sink deep into my heart. God's just revealing to me some of you have been keeping back roots because you've been hurt. You've been criticized. You've been judged. You've been made to feel inferior. And not by the world, but by other Christians, by other people, whether it be in this church or another church, small group. He wants to mend you up. He, he's sending that word to me this morning to remind you that he's the God that heals. And he'll strengthen you again. But at your current state, you're withering. Spiritually, relationally. So God, I pray for boldness on those that they would dare to trust again. God, I pray that a boldness would come, that they would dare to sink down some roots again. They aren't, they aren't forsaking church, but they've just seen mess happen, and they're just waiting for the next bad thing to happen, so they're not sending down roots, Lord, I pray. It's the roots that save them when the next bad thing happens. It's getting those roots wrapped around the rock, which is Jesus Christ that keeps you from being blown over, that keeps you from being ripped up, that keeps you planted and fruitful. So Lord, I pray for every man and woman this morning, God, that they would be like palm trees that bend in the storms of this life. God, that their leaves are always green and that they produce fruit. God, I pray that they would be like cedars of Lebanon and they'd be strong and durable and pleasant to the eyes and pleasant to the nose. That they would resist rot and bugs and that they would be used and on beautiful display in the temple of the Lord. Lord, as we go our way, help us take a a note from the trees of what it means to be planted and fruitful. Not just today, but tomorrow, Wednesday, and every day. Help us start this process, Lord, we ask. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Now I'm going to ask if you'd stand up real quick. We're not going to pray again. Look around. Maybe, maybe you have to go past the rows in that section that you're in. But I'm, I'm pretty sure there's somebody else that you could intertwine with here. 
Don't expect them to look like you. Maybe they look a little older, a little younger than you. But they need you, and you need them. And it's just too easy to race on out of here into the beautiful sunlight. Maybe we got to take some time, not just in here, but maybe set something up during the week. Maybe invite somebody out to coffee. Maybe shake somebody's hand. That's a good entwining motion, isn't it? To shake somebody's hand and start a relationship that we begin to get closer and closer and closer. So don't rush on out just because we're done on any given Sunday. Find some people. Find some time to slow down. Find some roots to intertwine with this week. All right? God bless you. Have a good rest of your day. We love you. Hope we'll see you next Sunday. Remember to pick up those back-to-church cards. Hand those out to some people.